Well, guys, I want to thank you for tuning in to the Youth and Culture podcast, where youth ministry and culture collide. I'm your host, Ryan Sebastian, and I'm joined with my co-host, David Pinkham. Shalom. <laughs> I am home <laughs> from Israel. <laughs> yeah. How, how did that trip go? Oh, man, it was incredible. Uh, life-changing experience. If you have a chance to go, uh, do it, because it is... It's incredible. I mean, we uh, I did find out, though, that um, from the guy who was kind of like our, our coordinator for the trip, that uh, because he the group was mainly pastors and, and ministry leaders, that they actually crammed in way more stuff on the trip than they normally do. So we did like 20 to 30 percent more stuff than um, most tours do. Uh, I mean, we were all over the place. We were in the Sea of Galilee for three days and walking around to a bunch of different sites there. And then we were in Jerusalem for four days and going all over the creation. (laughs) Um, We went from Caesarea Philippi all the way down to Masada. I think Masada was probably the furthest away, if not the the location. No, yeah, it was the furthest away because the location we went to for the Dead Sea and actually got in the Dead Sea uh, was further up, closer to Jerusalem. So. Yeah. Um, uh, good news. Uh, I've never been able to float in water in my life and I float in the dead sea. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's freaky. <laughs> um, but, uh, it, it works. And the, and the reason they told me is because the normal ocean water is like 3% salinity, mm-hmm. um, with all the minerals and the salt, the dead sea is 33% salinity. Yep. So nothing will sink except for maybe a rock and, uh, nothing lives in that, um, sea. It is, it's dead. And apparently it's also dying. Like the Dead Sea is dying. Um, it's getting smaller. So yeah, that's kind of sad. Um, but it was, uh, it was nuts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. It's been, yeah, it's been an interesting thing. Uh, time period, even for, uh, for things with me as well. Um, it's probably th- those of you who've been, or I have a listeners, of course, you probably noticed that we didn't have a podcast posted uh, last week. Uh, part of the, the reason being is partly because of you, David, being on your initial trip. Mm-hmm. And partly with, uh, with me as well is there's a lot of ministry of life uh, happening or church right now. Um, our yeah. uh, lead pastor, wh- whose wife has been battling cancer for like 11 years, uh, passed away this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just going, navigating that as a church, as a church staff and honoring him and giving him a leave of absence, a break to, to re- rejuvenate, uh, his spirit, his, his mental capacity. And it's just, just get some long deserved rest. Um, but with that comes, uh, figuring out responsibilities and loving responsibilities with the staff, um, preaching all that and involved with that. But mm-hmm. uh, God's been working by us doing a phenomenal job, but it, it uh, uh, there's been a phenomenal job being done and God's really has hand in it. But uh, it's really cool and neat to see how God's been working, how God's even working the life of our lead pastor through this. 
he was able to get up on stage and address the church a little bit uh, this past Sunday, uh, just thanking thanking them and sharing a little bit about their journey in the last few few days uh, leading up to uh, his wife passing away and uh, just thanking for all the support, but also just talking about how he is going to be taking leave of absence and how the el- our elders have been gracious enough uh, to do that for him and to honor him during this time. Um, yes, yeah, so it's, it's been it's been sad, uh, but at the same time, it's yeah. really been neat to see God work in the situation. And I look forward to seeing uh, how God is going to use our pastor when he comes back from his uh, leave of absence. Yeah, I, I know that's got to be tough, um, but I, I'm grateful that you're a part of a church that recognizes the need for the pastor to be able to take some time to grieve. Um, it, it's it's hard when you're going through something tough like that to stand up in front of your people and <laughs> be like, "All right, let's do this." <laughs> yeah, it is, and, and 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 I was I was shocked, but but I think part of the reason the reasons is he's again, Dave, you and me talked about this. Uh, before we start recording is that it's it he's been dealing with his wife uh with this sickness for about 11 years mm-hmm. and so he's been in a grieving process for quite a few number of years during that and seeing mm-hmm. his wife have major lows and ups and downs and roller coaster and grief and kind of since semi sense grieving already right um even though it's still still highly difficult, uh, no matter what, when you have a loved one pass away. Uh, but if, if I had to choose between the two, I would much rather uh, go through a process of grieving early on than something being sudden, which hits you all at once. And all those feelings, emotions, struggles, all that hits you at once. And, it, and they, to me, in my opinion, it, get, it, it would take you longer to recuperate and heal from that than something you've already you've already been grieving uh, for a long time. So th- I think that's the reason why he handled it very well, and he did he did a great job. Of course, he was he was he was emotional, mm-hmm. uh, but he he's just a, our pastor is the most humble man you've ever met you ever meet. He's just extremely humble leader. Uh, I have been underneath some leaders, um, some good, some bad. Uh, I do have to say none compared to his humility. And I th- and, I th- and part of that being is not only is a part of his personality that God has wired him as a leader, uh, but also life has humbled him uh, mm-hmm. the last few years. Uh, so yeah, so you, so those of you listening, just if if you would keep keep lift our church up in your uh, in your prayers and pray for my pastor. Um, but I am excited to see how God's going to use him when he comes back. Yeah, well, we'll definitely be praying for for him and for. For you guys, while you're helping run the ship while he's away, yes, and, I, and I'm excited about it. To, going back to what we're going to talk about today, I'm excited about the yeah. topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about idolatry. Yep. And and a lot of I think I think David again, this was close to near to your heart a little bit mm-hmm. because of things you saw in Israel. Yeah. Uh, so, what what would you kind of share share a little bit about that? Like some, some your experience there and. Uh, and in Israel. Yeah. So, um, I think it kind of goes, this will go back to kind of what idolatry is. And I mean, you can come up with whatever definitions that you've heard over the years in in the church context, but, um, you know, probably the simplest being, you know, giving, um, something more attention and affection than Christ in your life. 
um, would probably be the simplest way to put it. And um, walking through Israel, as as fun as it was and as amazing as some of the sights were, one of the things I struggled with was that a lot of the sites we went to, the reason those are, quote, sites now are because the Catholic Church at some point in history found it and went, hey, this is an important part of the story in Christ's life, so let's build a church here and put up a monument to something that happened in the story. And now people come there for hope and encouragement and or, or peace of some kind. So um, we went to this, uh, one of the locations when we were near the Sea of Galilee. Um, the, even the name of it irks me. It's called the Primacy of Peter. Um, and I was like, what? <laughs> this was, <laughs> they built a, a small little church there. Uh, you can go inside and it's real pretty. And, and um, the, this location is, and, and there's a difference. If you see anything on my Facebook, you'll see when I post things as archaeological and traditional. Traditional means they think it happened here, but they don't have conclusive proof. Archaeological means this is definitely the place. So we went to the archaeological site of Capernaum, and there's a church on top of the traditional location of Peter's house in Capernaum. And there's a glass floor where you can look down into the house. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's silly. But at the primacy of Peter, this is the only spot we went to along the Sea of Galilee that we could actually get to the water because there's a small beach area. And this is the traditional location of where Jesus restored Peter after the resurrection when he asked him three times, do you love me? And, and basically restored his denials the three denials. So that's, that's what that place was called was the primacy of Peter. And it it irks me because primacy should only be in relationship to Christ. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that was one of them. And then the other one, the the one, probably the most depressing moment um, there was when we went, we were in Jerusalem and we went to the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And um, if you look um, at certain angles of pictures of Jerusalem, the, the classic picture of Jerusalem is, um, the picture of the Temple Mount, you see the Dome of the Rock, the big golden dome. And that really is gold. Like that dome is covered in gold, real gold. Um, but um, if you look from the Garden of Gethsemane, they they have a church there, a little chapel there as well. Um, and uh, it was called Dominus Flevit, I believe. And I don't remember what that means. It's Latin. Um, but uh, inside that chapel, if you look through the window at downtown Jerusalem or the Temple Mount, as it were, um, you'll see the Dome of the Rock, which is a golden dome. And then there's another one that's further up the hill in Jerusalem, and it's gray. And that is the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. And that is where the, I think the Catholic Church thinks Jesus was crucified. And um, at the time, that location would have been outside the city walls, they think. Um, I don't see why, because it seems really close but that's not the same area as the garden tomb and the other traditional location of the crucifixion, which is where you actually see a rock formation that kind of looks like a skull. Um, and, but what they did was they built this church, the church of the Holy Sepulcher. And if you go in there, the, the artwork is beautiful. There's mosaics everywhere. There's, um, all sorts of pretty things, but when you first walk in, there's this marble slab on the floor that people go up to and they'll kneel down and pray on it and kiss it, which is, I think, how we all got COVID, by the way. Um, <laughs> but um, that is what they call their traditional um, 
that, that they say that's the rock that they laid Jesus's body on to preparing for burial. Marble's not native to Israel anyway. Um, <laughs> but then you go upstairs and there's this other spot with some mosaics. And then there's this area where you see a cross with Jesus hanging on it. And he's over this glass enclosure and under the glass is a rock and it's, it's part of the natural rock formation. And they, 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 they say that's where they think the cross was when he was crucified was on top of that particular rock. And under the glass enclosure, there's a little space you can crawl in there and then there's a hole and you can stick your arm through the hole and touch the actual rock. And I was watching people lined up to get to this spot, go in there, kiss the, the outside part. They would kiss it and then they would stick their arm in and touch the rock. And I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I mean, and it was that and so much more, but all of these people coming on this this, these pilgrimages, I'm sure, um, coming to kiss this holy object and make a connection with the divine through touching something, completely ignoring the fact that we worship a risen Christ who's not dead and we can't touch him. Um, we're not, we don't put our hope in something. We're putting our hope in someone. And so, uh, and it was even like literally darker in there than most of the other places we went because there wasn't a lot of lighting. So just watching all of this uh, happen and, and, and when we went to the Wailing Wall, and it wasn't the only spot that this happened, but when you go to the Western Wall, people write prayers out, they fold them up and they shove them in the cracks in the wall. That was not the only place we saw people doing that. At the Primacy of Peter, there was this rock with a bunch of holes in it and there was a bunch of little prayers stuffed into it as well. And um, it, it's it's... It's depressing knowing that I was excited to be walking in the same areas that Jesus walked. They've even done enough archaeological digging where they found the path from the Pool of Siloam all the way up to the Temple Mount, and they've uncovered it enough where I actually stood on the same stones Jesus walked on when he was here on Earth, which is kind of a cool feeling. But for me, it was like, oh, this is cool. But for other people, they're like, let's kiss it. (laughs) You know, and I know I'm probably being a little bit... um, rude <laughs> about it but the 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 problem is we have a tendency as human beings to find something we can look at and touch and 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 we end up worshiping that and i mean you look back in the old testament the, the israelites had the same problem you know moses was gone for just over a month and they were like let's make a golden calf and worship that you know um we we have a tendency to well look god put it in our hearts to worship we know that. Um, we were built literally for worship. He sent eternity in the hearts of men. Um, he's made us in his image, and and we were intended to worship him. And so we have this desire to worship something. Um, it should be someone. Um, but when we don't see him and we don't feel it, uh, whatever feeling means for you, um, we tend to to look for something else. And And so when I think about idolatry, honestly, um, I was I was asking my question, uh, how prevalent is it today compared to 2000 years ago? Honestly, Ryan, I think the answer to that is nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I would, I would totally agree with that. And we talked about this a little bit before we recorded too, that it, it, it is the same as it was 2000 years ago. It just looks different. Yeah. And um, it, it's not even that much different either. Yeah. Yeah. When I mean, of course, what I mean by looks different in a Western yes. concept, 
it may look different, but when it comes to having idols, it's there's no difference. Yeah, I and and the reason I say there's not much different is because the differences really lie in the Western world. Um, over in the over in the Middle East, in Israel and other places, there was idols everywhere. Uh, there were little golden statues, there little shiny things people were bowing down to. Now in America, we have our tiny shiny things we bow down to, like our smartphones. Um, <laughs> you know, we we Lots have our we have our tiny shiny things that we bow down to, like our diet plans. Um, <laughs> and our golden records, our platinum records, you know, we have our, our tiny little shiny objects that we bow down to in our country. They just may not look like a golden statue of some false God from ancient time. Um, but it's still, uh, people in our country, I think the American culture, I think we worship sex. Mm-hmm. I would say we do that. Um, look 2000 years ago, there were sex gods. And a lot of the idolatry involved worshiping the God through some kind of sexual act. So, yeah, yeah there was a lot of prostitution mm-hmm. around a lot of those yeah. type of gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, look, we might not have a big temple that people walk into to worship, um, but there's still people worshiping themselves, their bodies, sex, and and uh, all sorts of things. I mean, um, I think a lot of the things that we call distractions in our context are really idols. We just don't want to admit that because we have this weird thing. And I've said this before on the podcast. We have this weird thing as human beings where we feel like if we say it out loud, it's true. So if I don't say it out loud, it's not true yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, uh, no, it's not a distraction. It's an idol. You are worshiping that thing. Um, you, you might not think you are, but let's do a uh, an experiment here. How about we take you to summer camp and you're not allowed to have your phone and see how long it takes the jitters to stop. <laughs> Yeah, they, they go through. People go through withdrawals. Yeah, uh, I, I've I've actually heard of research done where they they um, surveyed teenagers and they would rather go without food than their smartphone. Mm-hmm. That that blows my mind. So the question is: In 2023, modern day American youth ministry, what idols can distract us as youth leaders from ministry? And um, I think the first one we should hit is is the big one, Ryan, and and you kind of mentioned this, so I'll lob this one at you. But um, the first one you mentioned earlier was uh, your ministry itself. Yeah, and and yeah, this is the big one. Uh, and again, I, th- I think we don't we don't think about this. We don't necessarily most people don't necessarily recognize this. Uh, but your ministry can become an idol in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, so what do I mean by that, or or what does that look like? Uh, it could, one thing right off the bat is if you have a family, if you have a wife and kids, if you're putting your kids, your family, on the altar of ministry, hey man, then then ministry is an idol in your life. Yep. It, it 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 is a when it becomes more important. They're providing for your family spiritually, emotionally, even physically, and in some aspects. Uh, and you're more wrapped into being successful in ministry, whatever that your mm-hmm. concept of success is. Uh, and you sacrifice your family for that. Then, then that moment, that period, uh, ministry is an idol in your life. Because the thing is, you're being disobedient disobedient to God when it comes to your role as a husband and a father. Yeah. And that, 
And that role as a husband and father comes before your ministry. It's so in reality, you're being disobedient and you're in living in sin, in uh, not only in your role, but also in your uh, living in a lifestyle of adultery and ministry. So that that's one, the first thing when it comes to ministry is just uh, when it comes to your family, that's just one example. The other one is, and it kind of is tied in this as well, it's when you find uh, your uh, identity mm. in your ministry and not in Christ. Yep. And, and in other words, and the best way to kind of gauge this, in my opinion, is is what if 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 right if right at this moment, if God removed you from full time ministry, okay, full time pastor, director, full time ministry, remove that out of your life. Uh, where is your identity in? Would you feel like your identity is gone? Would you be lost? Uh, Yes, and and, and to say okay, this, another analogy connected to this is example is is a student. We all deal with students. where right now who or families where sports is the thing. Okay, mm. it's a biggest priority. Everything else comes second. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all all of us in student ministry are dealing with this some form or fashion within our ministries right now. So it, it's it's an example of a kid whose parents are so into sports. They're so focused on it. And they're driving, they're pretty much 24-7 all year long. It's all about preparing, training for whatever sport. Mm-hmm. And you get, and let's say you do get a, a, schol- a college scholarship. Uh, you, you get a scholarship, college scholarship, you get through college, and it's still it's all about the sport, whatever sport that may be. And then you graduate college because you're, you're not good enough to go professional. Mm. So you graduate college and it's like, it's all over. I don't know what to do. My life has been all surrounded by this. This has been my life and it's no longer part of my life. And, mm-hmm. and what, and a lot of kids and this, and again, there's a lot of research showing this and I can give you all example on example in my own life of kids in this situation, they fall into deep depression. Uh, some of them go through alcohol, uh, drugs, um, even some kids have even struggled with suicide through this identity all wrapped in around a sport or yeah. or whatever it is. Name the thing. And then the same kind of concept is is in ministry too. Is if our life, our identity, it's is surrounded and it's all about ministry, and that's all it is. Like full time church ministry, that's all it is, and it's not wrapped around Christ. Uh, then we're living a life in idolatry, and here's the biggest. Uh, I think lip, lipness test of that is because again, I'm all about ministry too. I'm all about reaching people for Christ. I'm all about uh, building disciples. But but here's here's the thing: is how do you kind of gauge if you're living, if your ministry is your idol? Hmm. Is is God a? Is, how is your like? How's your time with God? How is your prayer life? If that is not the existence in your life, and I again I talk to youth pastors all the time, and and I'm telling you, nine out of ten times, there are there barely a lot of people are barely having a time with God or or in the prayer life, or they're not having it at all, mm. uh, and it's sad. And if that if that describes you, then you're 
ministry is an idol because God is not important in your life. Yeah, I think one key question to ask yourself is when you are spending time in the Word, who's it for? That, that's, another, that's another thing, too. Are you, are you having, uh, we call it quiet time devotions, what are, are you spending time in God's Word to work on your relationship with Him, or is every time you're opening God's Word in preparation to teach someone else about it? Because those two should be... There, yeah, there's going to be some overlap because you might hit a devotional day where you're like, oh, this is so great. I got to share this with the whole youth group. But for the most part, there should that should be two different activities. No, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and man, and again, I'm not, again I, I'm saying this to everybody, but I'm also saying it to myself because mm-hmm. uh, I, I can easily follow fall into this camp as well. That's the reason why. I have people that keep me accountable, people that speak into my life, asking me, uh, how was your time with God? Uh, keeping me accountable. What, what has God teaching you in your in your quiet time with Him? How was your prayer life? Mm. Uh, I have people asking me, asking me these questions and keeping me accountable, and I have teenagers doing it as well. No, that'll uh, hum you real quick. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. So because the fact is, is that, man, when, when push to shove, Again, ministry, again, I, like I said, I, I have passion about seeing people come to Christ. I'm passionate about people growing, kids, or people growing the faith. But at the same time, my own faith, my own identity in Christ is more important than that. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying they're, 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 this, this over here is not important, it is. Mm-hmm. But if, if I'm not developing, if I'm not growing in my own faith, then, then this over here, would be ineffective. It would be superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be trying to do things on my own ability, talents and ability, which only goes so far. But when I'm being relying every aspect of my life on God, which is what you're doing in prayer, by the way, when you're when you have a, a vervent prayer life, what you're actually doing is you're actually submitting to God, relying on Him, knowing you can't do it. You can only do it through through God and how God and, and that's what it means to have a fervent prayer life. Um, because when you don't have a, a have a fervent prayer life, a very uh, vibrant prayer life, then what you're doing doing is you're actually saying by your actions in your life that I don't need you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got yeah. it. it. It's funny you say that because um, I was just in my worship pastor's office yesterday and I looked up above his door um, as like, as if you were walking out, it's right above his door. And I was like, Oh, that's new. And he had said, he told me that it's something he's said before to his team. And so one of them made him a sign that says it. And so he has a sign over his door now that says, Jacob, you are utterly incapable of doing this. So pray. <laughs> yeah. It, it, there's, there's so, there's so much, there's so much deep truth in that. <laughs> In that sentence, in that statement, because the reality is we, we, we fall in this trap as, as pastors. Let's mm-hmm. just be honest. We fall in this trap as pastors and ministry leaders, thinking that we know better than other people mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to growing people with faith. And, and in, in some cases, maybe, maybe we do know a little bit more. But the fact is, man, it's all through God and God working through us that we're able to do anything 
Yeah. And I think that leads to another uh, tangential reason that there there's one other big idol that can distract us in ministry that's related to this. And that is having that kind of youth ministry that revolves around a personality because you have a desire to be liked. You you have to have everybody like you. So you do what you can to make sure everybody stays happy, which means ministry will suffer because look at Jesus. He did what the father told him to do and it ticked people off. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, yeah, that's, that's a great point. I'm glad you said that is, is yes, I would say, uh, the vast majority, again, this is generalization. Okay. So I'm just going to state that now this is generalization, but I would, mm-hmm. I would say the vast majority, of not just, not just youth ministries, also churches. Oh yeah. Uh, revolve around yep. a personality, mm-hmm. uh, a person rather than really uh, focusing on the, the Holy, Holy Spirit. What, what would, what would, what is the Holy Spirit burning in us as a church, as a church staff? Uh, it's more around a, a charisma of a personality of a person. And, and that's one of the reasons when I, and again, that's why I respect Francis Tran, Francis Chan so much as he was a very, very much a, a large church, uh, then realized that, Hey, this is all revolving around me. Mm. Uh, and because of that step down mm. and, uh, I have a lot of respect for, for people like that. Uh, cause it, again, it, it's very easy for us as leaders when, when we, when we're in a space where it seems like everything's revolving around us, our personality or charisma, and we're liked, we're or mm-hmm. loved by people. It, it g- gets to our head, yeah. Uh, and it starts. And over time, whether we realize it or not, over time, everything starts to be about us mm-hmm. and not about people. Yeah, and that can lead to another one, which is the idol of control. Yeah, absolutely. Because I've had this problem myself. I've had pastors and, and youth pastors tell me we we can get into a rut of having a hard time letting something go because well I'll just do it. I can't trust anybody else to do it because they're not going to do it my way because apparently my way is the best way. And so if you can't do it my way exactly the way I would do it then I'll just do it myself and that'll lead to burnout. Um but it also elevates you above other people even if that's not your motivation because what you're telling the people around you is you're not good enough to serve the Lord. So just sit there and shut up and I'll do it all. Yeah. And it, that's it, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, to, I, I, I demand, I totally agree. And, and again, we, we live, we live in, in a post COVID uh, church world right now. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is we live in a, in a, in a church culture to where uh, volunteers is not where, where it used to be. Mm. Um, the willingness to serve is not uh, where it used to be. Uh, all that right now is in a post-COVID church world. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I understand when I hear pastors say, "It's like, well, I just don't have enough people. I just don't have enough people." And then, uh, then they take more and more on themselves. What I was speaking to that is maybe it's time to innovate. Mm. Maybe it's time to stop doing the same o same o and doing something different based off of the volunteers and the people you have serving doing something different. 
Uh, again, that it's different from context to context, church to church. All that looks different because there's some churches that uh, volunteers and people serving is phenomenal right now. Uh, but I would say the mass majority is not. It's mm. it's 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 a little bit higher than it was during COVID, uh, but still not where it used to be pre-COVID. Um, so learning to to navigate that and actually change how you do ministry and innovate a little bit. Even in our, in our ministries, our church, we've had to do that a little bit. I've had to do that in the student ministry mm-hmm. uh, and, and kind of navigate that and change what we do a little bit and just say, hey, uh, I only can have this so many people uh, go to camp this year because I only can get this only this amount of adult volunteers. So you, you, have, to make, you have to make changes, but you have to uh, have boundaries around yourself mm-hmm. and not put all of these extra things on top of you because you want to keep doing the same stuff you were doing before. Yeah. And, and that's something where, you know, this is not one of those things where, you know, we're trying to tell you like, you've got to get your volunteer base and the other people back and serving exactly the same way it was before COVID. Cause I know that people got used to staying home and not doing much for the last couple of years. And so we're starting to work our way out of that. So there's going to take some time where, um, it's going to it's going to take a while to get some of these people back but that means you're just not going to be able to do all the same things you were doing it doesn't mean dump it all on your own shoulders and do it all yourself it means do what you can appropriately with the boundaries that you need to set in place so that your family doesn't suffer so that you don't burn out and then once you've got those people that start coming in and you recognize there's people here that I can reach out to and we can start doing some of these things we used to be doing, um, even if it's in a different way, then you start that back up. Um, I think that one of the things that uh, youth pastors have a ten- that can have a tendency to do as well as senior pastors is um, if no one else will do it, instead of saying, well, then we'll just can it, we just try to add it to our own plate. And yeah. our own plate is full enough as it is. Um, if you're doing your job, <laughs> if you're not true. doing your job, then go ahead and add something to your plate. <laughs> um, but uh, you being the the be all end all of your ministry is not a good idea because it sets you up. It basically makes you gives you kind of like a God complex where you, you think you are the, the all knowing God of your universe of youth ministry in your little corner of the church. And you're not. Um, and it, it makes it really hard for you to convince your students that it's all about Jesus when you're acting like it's all about you. Yeah, no, no I totally agree. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a trap that's easy for us to fall in. And to be honest with you, and I've shared this on the podcast before, uh, first two to three years in ministry, that's what defined my ministry. I was doing it all, and I was on the verge of burnout. Um, it was a very dark, it was not a very good, it was a very hard period uh, for ministry and family. I was, I was putting my family on the altar of ministry uh, during that time period. Uh, and I, and some, in some sense of the phrase, I had, I had to learn, learn some things the hard way. Yeah. So the next thing is basically same question, but for our students. Um, and w- I'm not going to dwell on this as much because this podcast is for you guys, not for your kids. But uh, <laughs> um, I, I think, to be honest with you, if we were to go, if we went through and listed out all of the different idols that distract students from Christ, um, none of it would be new information for any of the people listening to this. 
Um, so I think what I'm going to do instead is just focus and remind us that of the solution on how we point our kids away from idolatry and towards Christ. And to be honest with you, the first and best thing we can do is model it for them. Um, take a look at our own lives, find, figure out what our idols are, uh, tear them down, and then model what a Christ-centric life looks like, a gospel-driven life looks like. Because if we are spending copious amounts of time in God's Word on a regular basis, you can define what copious amounts means. Um, if we are having a vibrant prayer life, not just thank you for this food, amen, let's eat. Uh, <laughs> if you are um, spending time actually internalizing God's Word, um, whether that be memorization of a verse or a chunk or a deep dive into Bible study of some kind and really getting to know um, the text deeply, um, uh, sharing the gospel with unsaved people. Uh, whatever spiritual disciplines you want your students to be involved in that are going to get their eyes focused on the Lord and off of themselves and off of the things that will distract them from Him, live those yourself. Uh, I think that's the the single best thing we can do. And uh, included in that vibrant prayer life is praying for them by name on a regular basis. No, I absolutely agree. One thing that, um, again, I would probably add to that as well. And again, I don't have an answer for individuals. Again, it's, it's, every church culture is different. Mm-hmm. Um, every uh, area of the country is slightly different. So how you implement this is going to be different across the board. I uh, just have to figure out what works in your context. But uh, to try to get your kids to be self-aware, mm. uh, self-aware of, of idols in their life. And what does that look like in a modern context, in a westernized context? In their culture, yeah. Uh, what are what are idols, or what are in their life? What are easy things that could be idols in their life? Uh, so trying to get them to be self-aware, and get, get a lot of that has to do with spiritual maturity. And I understand that that uh, kids who are young in their faith um, are going to have a harder time with this, and those that uh, are a little bit more mature in their faith. So I, so I totally understand that. But if you, but the, but getting kids to be self-aware to understand what are idols in their life, uh, how to remove out of once they're self-aware, how to remove idols out of life, what does that look like in that process? That to me also along with modeling, because modeling is number one, the most important thing um, you can do. Uh, but along with that, uh, man, it's it's what it, just in my own journey and my own time in ministry, I've seen how effective that is. Uh, going if I, as I'm a discipling kids, and there's three in particular that, um, that I'm thinking about that I spent years discipling, pouring into, living a life on life together um, outside of church, uh, outside of church, and really pouring into them, mentoring them, discipling them, and just having having really deep conversations and saying, "Hey, man, I'm seeing you do this in your life. This can easily this easily can become an odd in your life, and here's why." Um, and then seeing the light bulb pop in these kids, uh, saying, "You know what? You're right. I didn't never realize that." Uh, just get, and getting to understand, being self-aware is also to me very critical with this as well. Yeah, and what that's going to require is unplugging and letting the thoughts happen. Yeah, <laughs> and not not necessarily letting the thoughts happen, but cl- um, removing the noise so that you can actually think. Mm-hmm. Because that's hard. 
for our generation. And it's not just Gen Z or the, the alphas as they're coming up. It's all of us. There is so much noise in our culture. We don't allow ourselves some times of literal quiet so that we can think. And I think a lot of the reason for that is because we don't want to know what we're thinking. <laughs> we're afraid of the, we're afraid of the thoughts. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the reason. It's funny you say that. And again, this is this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but can still connected to this as well. This that's the reason why when you're when you there there's a research and I forget what the research is, but has shown that that one of the one of the best times that uh, people get ideas, mm-hmm. uh, ideas and, and fleshing out thoughts is actually in the shower. It's because there's nothing else going on. <laughs> you're quiet. You're still. Uh, because well, one thing that I do and get and get again, those of you listening maybe think, oh, you're you're just extreme. But one thing I have to do as a parent, and my kids know this, is they're at this point, and as a family, they're not having smartphones. Amen. We we've we've how old are they? Uh, eight, and I'm about to have an eleven year old here in a couple months. You're good. And, you're a good father. And, you're a good and they good know, father. Yeah, but they they know that they're not having smartphones until uh, probably never. <laughs> but <laughs> you want a smartphone by yourself. <laughs> well, again, there is going to be there's going to be a period of time uh, where yes, we'll give them a smartphone, uh, but that's when they have had a long history of uh, proving they're mature enough to handle it. Now, get them a gab um, phone. Right. Well, even then, like uh, we we've talked about getting them what's called a simplistic phone, uh, yeah. not a dumb phone. There's a just a type of phone that still you can do GPS stuff on. Yeah, the Gab, G A B B. Yeah, that yeah, that's that's one example of, yeah. of uh, one of the, one of the simple phones. But yeah, so we we made that commitment. But here's why we made that commitment. We share, we tell this to our kids all the time, and our kids aren't phased by it. They just yeah. like okay. But we we explain this over and over with them that we want you to learn how to have conversations, mm. uh, how to listen. To Eye people. contact. <laughs> I, yes, that too. And, and, and how to, how to have, how to have friends like deep, meaningful relationships, yeah. interpersonal um, communication. And, and also one thing that we talked about is, uh, and, and it's funny we talk about idols, but uh, today, but one thing I've told them is I don't want a phone to become an idol in your life. Mm-hmm. To where it consumes your time, I, and uh, I want you to to enjoy your friends and yeah. enjoy people around you, and and it's funny thing is, is they're at the age now where they're like, man, I, I don't I don't want to do that. I don't want to I don't wanna, I want to have friends. I want to have friends. Um, so yep. yes, but as a parent, I'm explaining this and really working with them. And even in my own life, uh, things that I do, because I'm, e- I'm a workaholic, easily distracted, easily mm-hmm. consumed type of person. And one of the things I do is I take my phone at a certain time of the day. I put another another room on a charger and I don't touch it mm-hmm. the next day. I leave my, comp- my work computer at work at night uh, just so I'm not distracted. And I consumed. I do things. I do you things in my own life. Twitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because as how I am, I, I am naturally a workaholic. So yeah. ministry for me. That's because you're self-aware. Yeah, ministry for me can be can be an idol. Yeah. And, uh, yes. Exactly. Being self-aware. Yeah. Um. And, and, but it took me. It took me almost burning out, mm. almost ruining my family, mm-hmm. for me to be self-aware. Yeah. Don't do that. 
Um, and and this is this is the crux of it as we wrap up is is how we avoid this. Um, it, it's the same principle that Paul lays out so many times, and, and even Christ. It's the put on. It's the put off, put on principle. Um, put off the idol and then put on Christ. Uh, and that's what we need to do. So hopefully um, that encouraged you today. Um, we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you for your patience as we deal with ministry stuff in our lives. Um, and if you haven't yet, please take some time to hop on over to the review section, leave comment or star review. doesn't matter uh, as long as you're honest and whatever platform you listen to us on. And that'll allow us to keep our content uh, near the top of the search results um, as youth workers look for solid youth ministry content. And as always, if there's a topic that you'd like us to cover uh, that we haven't or that we covered before COVID and COVID absolutely ruined all of it, so we have to redo it, um, just let us know. We'd love to connect with you as well on Facebook. we got a Facebook group, the Youth and Culture Facebook group. Uh, you can like our page as well, and you can also connect with us on Instagram. Well, guys, stay tuned for our next episode.